Hello everyone. I'm sitting in a room alone, <laughs> talking to myself, which means it's time for another episode of Stuck on Arrakis. First, I wanted to say a big thank you again to everyone who participated in the charity podcast-a-thon or anyone who tuned in. Um, it was fantastic and a lot of fun, and I can't wait to do it again. And if you're new here from the charity podcast-a-thon, if you tuned into my segment, thank you and welcome. Uh, I'm happy to have you here. So today what I'm doing is I'm talking about a short story of Robert Jordan's called The Strike at Sheogul. But before we get into the short story discussion, uh, I want to take a minute for our creator spotlight for this episode, and that is the Wheel of Time Trivia Server. Yay! Uh, the Wheel of Time Trivia Server is run by DT, and basically it's just Wheel of Time Trivia. Um, there's also pub trivia and a couple of other games, including a really fun drinking game, and they do a lot of full series spoiler games, but they also do a lot of um, beginning of the series only games. And I always attend those because they're a lot of fun and I can actually participate. And more exciting news, coming in the next month or so, uh, DT is going to be running a content creator only game. I don't have all of the details yet, uh, but Basically, all of the teams will be composed of Wheel of Time content creators, including myself. Basically, we're all going to play Wheel of Time trivia together, and um, spectators are invited. So if you're not playing, or if you're not a Wheel of Time content creator, then you can join the voice channels of some of the other content creators and listen in on their team while they play trivia. And you won't be able to talk to them or anything like that. It'll just be like you're a fly on the wall kind of participating with them. So um, if you're a content creator and you're interested in that, let me know. And if that's something that you're interested in seeing, uh, we'll have more details coming out soon. Speaking of community and community events, I talked about this a little bit during the charity podcast-a-thon, but DT and I have created the Wheel of Time fandom Discord and calendar. Uh, it's basically a hub for fans and creators alike to come and see... Um, not only what great creators are out there and engage with them and um, get notified if there's new content available for them, but we also have a live events calendar uh, linked in the Discord. And basically what that is, is um, content creators will put their upcoming live events on the calendar and uh, any fans can add that calendar to their calendar and if you're ever curious um, about what cool things are coming up in the Wheel of Time this week or this weekend or whatever, you can check the calendar and all of that stuff will be available to you. So we're hoping this is a great way for everyone to kind of come together and just see what's going on and be a part of the community. So if you're a content creator and you're not in that server, or if you're a fan and you're not in that server, I will have it linked in the description of this episode. Also, also, before we get into the short story discussion, I want to give you guys a little bit of an update about when the next Winter's Heart episode is coming up, because it's not ready yet, hence why I'm sitting down and talking about the strike at Sheogul instead. So, I'm close to having my next episode done, and I think I'll be able to record it next weekend. Uh, but just to give you guys an update, uh, I have met Tuan, <laughs> and she tried to buy Matt, and... Um, there's a lot of Sean Chan happening, and in the next chapter, I'm going to visit, uh, Far Matting for the first time, so I'm really excited about that. 
And so far, I've really been enjoying this section of the book a lot. Definitely a lot more than the first half of the book. <laughs> but I'll be able to give you all of my opinions soon. Or if you want my opinions sooner, <laughs> join my Discord because I have a channel just for me and I usually live react to things as I'm reading. And my Discord server is just a lot of fun. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you have Discord and you like uh, being in Wheel of Time related Discords, then join mine because it's a lot of fun. Okay, let's actually move into the short story segment. So of this story, um, Robert Jordan said that one of his most asked questions is, or was, um, why, when the greatest feats of the Age of Legends were done by men and women working together with the One Power, was the final attack on Sheol Ghul carried out by men alone? And that's something that I've wondered too, um, because it just seems weird that there would only be male channelers present. And now that um, I've read this story, I know exactly why that happened. And it's super interesting. I wish there was a lot more of this type of stuff available, like side and lore and history types of short stories or appendices or what have you. Um, but we don't have many of those, um, which is unfortunate. But this one, I think, was really awesome. And I enjoyed it a lot. So let's talk about it. So Robert Jordan described this short story as a fictional bit of nonfiction, a piece from an age called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, which is cool. <laughs> and the actual piece of nonfiction was written by Jareel Mondevin, who was the royal historian to the court of the Queen of Candor in the third age. And we, we I met her recently. Was that? I think that was in the Path of Daggers, um, but I can't remember. But I met her recently, and she's still in play, and I don't know what the hell's going to happen with her. But um, this royal historian to her court um, wrote this little bit of fiction that's, or I'm sorry, nonfiction that's very interesting. So I'm guessing she was a brown. I'm afraid to look her up. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to. I'm I'm almost certain that she's a brown. I'll, I'll ask Discord later. So basically, um, she starts off this short piece of nonfiction uh, by talking about the history of right before the breaking happened and what happened from the drilling of the boar into the Dark One's prison to the end of the breaking of the world. The history right there was lost. And she's also thankful that printing, the art of printing, survived the breaking when so much else didn't survive the breaking. But she didn't find a complete history of what happened. All that they know is based on pieces and fragments of this history coming together. And they're kind of duct taping it back together. And I think there's probably room for a lot of interpretation for some of this stuff. Um, a lot of incomplete information that maybe they had to uh, kind of use their best judgment and their knowledge to bridge some gaps. So this account is probably spot on, uh, but I think that we also have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, uh, considering that they didn't have all of the information that they needed. Or maybe they did, and I'm wrong. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of this piece of nonfiction is how she describes um, this dusty storage room that they found uh, the histories in. And I'm just going to read it because I liked it. 
It says, the pages were in a chest full of old bills and receipts, students copy books and private diaries, some so foxed by age and with ink so faded as to be unreadable where the pages themselves had not crumbled. The fragmentary manuscript was readable, barely, but presented the usual problems, quite aside from the difficulties of translation and dealing with centuries of copyist errors. Such a history would no doubt be a vast, multi-volume work. Yet of the 212 surviving pages, the largest number of consecutive pages was six, and nowhere else more than two. Um, she says that a lot of the dates are totally incomprehensible, and that no calendar from the Age of Legends has ever been found. This collection of documents contains more information of the War of the Shadow than anything else they've ever found. So this was a huge deal. Actually, I wonder where they found it. I don't think it says that. Okay, so the, the point of all of that is this is very rare, very old, and very incomplete information that we're going off here. Because if you think about it, I mean, so little really survived after the breaking. There was so much knowledge about the one power lost. Uh, there was so much knowledge about history and technology lost. The world was so completely broken that they basically had to start back over again with the knowledge that they'd gained in the last age. So to kind of set the stage here, because... Like I've mentioned before, I really did not have any idea of how things happened um, when Luz Theron sealed the Dark One. So basically, at this point, the Dark One has taken over most of the world, most of the land. Social order is completely breaking down. There are thousands of new diseases and ills that were either rare or unknown before the end of the world started to happen. And apparently, Luz Theron was trying really hard to recover land from the Dark One's dominion. <laughs> and um, he managed to do that, but in the meantime, the Dark One was taking over more and more land. So this is very, well, we know that it's very close to the end because this is about the end. But, I mean, hope was pretty much gone, probably at this point. The people were suffering so much under the hand of the Dark One, and really it was all or nothing. They were running out of time. They needed to figure out what they were going to do because it seemed like, and, and this is a quote, I'm just going to read it. It was as if every step forward by the shadow scattered the spores of chaos before it. Chaos is important, I think. And feeding on what grew, the shadow grained strength so that it, its next stride was longer and the next step would be longer still. Oh my god, that's terrifying. It also says in the text that the shadow was willing to starve or murder a great percentage of the population in order to win. And of course they would. That's kind of their MO, right? Fuck everyone living. We're gonna take over. It's gonna be dark and terrible and misery. So I'm wondering how much of the way Luz Theron's ending will reflect Rand's. Because if the same thing happens every time, I feel like I'm getting a bit of a glimpse into what the end is going to be like when we get there. Uh, people are going to be dying and of ills that were never heard of. Maybe the land is going to be like really dark and inhospitable. 
and the dark one is just going to be wreaking havoc on the entire world. If that's what we see in the last couple of books, I really wouldn't be surprised. So basically, their plans for ending the war quickly was to attack the boar directly, and they create the seals out of Quindiar. And the original plan was to have seven female Aes Sedai and six male Aes Sedai, which is apparently the number that they believed was necessary for this to happen, and they found the strongest of the Aes Sedai. It also mentions the thinness and the pattern uh, that is around the boar and makes it more detectable, and I've seen that mentioned recently in Where I Am in the series. I think it was when Mogadian went up there to receive her punishment, and then once they got there, they would uh, implant the seals into the boar and shut the Dark One in there forever. Of course, there were a lot of concerns about this. In Sheogul, where the Dark One has the most power, uh, he can detect any channeling and send his, uh, the Forsaken or something like that to go and kill them. And then they would fail, right? So that was a concern. There were also concerns that if the seals weren't placed right, Instead of sealing up the boar, they would rip it open and free the Dark One completely. But here's the most interesting plan. The second plan that they had was basically they would create these two huge Sa'angriol, both so powerful that using them would require Terangriol, like we've seen recently. Uh, Varen has one. I think Elaine has one. Rand has one. So they're familiar with using the Terangriol to increase their the amount of magic they can channel at one time. Or, I'm sorry, the amount of the one power <laughs> they can channel at one time. And a lot of people were worried about this plan too because they thought that they saw Angriol would be so powerful that either one of them might destroy the world, but both definitely would destroy the world because it's too much power. Some people also thought that um, it wasn't possible, even with the Tarangriol, to hold so much power at once, and that maybe uh, the Aes Sedai who were channeling it into them would be burnt out. So they have two plans at this point. Go and seal the Dark One using the Quindiar seals, or create the Sangriol and kill him using those, channeling through those. Because there's no way, if they're as powerful as they would expect, that the Dark One would be able to win against them. The most prominent Aes Sedai in support of the Sangriol was an Aes Sedai named, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but her name was Latra Pose de Coum, maybe? Ooh, that sounds kind of French. How nice. And she was extremely against using the seals. Extremely against it. And apparently, every female Aes Sedai ended up agreeing with her and coming over to her side. And this gathering of Aes female Aes Sedai was called the Fateful Concord. Cool. They thought that Luz Theron's plan was too rash and too dangerous, and no woman agreed to be there when the male Aes Sedai tried this plan. And that put a huge wrench in their plans because uh, you need to have a circle in order to create the seals and seal the dark one. And men can't create a circle, they can only be brought into one that's created by women. 
So because they really had no choice, they started really working on the Sa'angriol plan. The problem was that the Terangriol were, that were being made in a completely different part of the country, or, I don't know, the land, <laughs> because um, some said that the uncontrolled resonances during the final stages of their creation, uh, I don't know, could have been problematic for whatever reason. But then, I guess Samael found out about it somehow because he sends all of his forces in there and all of a sudden the Tarangriol are in danger. So now they have this Sangriol, but they don't have any way to control them, which is obviously a problem. But they had to do that because if the Dark One and the Forsaken found out that those two Choden Call existed and what they could do, oh man, that would be the end of the war. There's no way they would have survived that. They would be fucked. <laughs> Once all of the female Aes Sedai started to join the fateful Concord, this obviously created a huge schism in the tower. And I'm guessing at this point, because there are... Um, men and women in the hall of the tower, which was crazy to read because <laughs> that that's completely not the case where I am, obviously, of course. But a huge schism formed in the tower between the male and the female Aes Sedai. And I don't actually know if this was like the first time the tower was broken or whatever, but holy fuck was it broken. It was mega broken. And then at this point, they decided that they need to start, uh, trying to smuggle those access Terangriol out of the shadow-controlled territory and to where they are. Once they started trying to smuggle the Terangriol out, the Forsaken went full fucking in. Samael, Demandred, and Bilal were all involved in these new offensives. Both of the Sangriol were actually threatened by their presence, and it's possible that they were actually the target, even though, I mean, they must have found out somehow. At this point, when all was really starting to seem lost, there was a re-emergence of this peace faction, who apparently were a group that uh, were demanding that the light, or, you know, the good side, the good guys, negotiate with the Forsaken to make it stop. Which is bullshit, because there's no negotiating with the Forsaken. What are you going to do? Get them to promise that they're not going to fucking kill you? Of course they're going to kill you. I wouldn't trust a Forsaken as far as I could throw them, even if I was a dark friend. At this point, like I mentioned earlier, all hope really seemed lost. Uh, it says, the will of the people to resist was fading, which I think is going to, I mean, it's going to happen again. We've already started to see everything decline. I mean, if the Supergirls hadn't found and used the Bowl of Winds, then the land would still be parched of water and dry and hot and becoming inhospitable to the people that live there. Who knows how long they would have had if that had continued, you know. The will of the people to resist would definitely be failing then. In the meantime, this group of powerful young male Aes Sedai formed in support of Lutheran, and they called themselves the Hundred Champions. Although I don't know if it was all of the male Aes Sedai like it was all of the female Aes Sedai. And then Lutheran uh, assembles a huge force, a huge army of like 10,000 soldiers. The Hall has no idea about this. And with that army and the 100 champions, these male Aes Sedai, 
he launched his plan and attacked Sheol Ghul. And it says in the text that what exactly occurred that day can never be known, but we know the results. It says, of the soldiers, not a single man or woman returned to give any account. We know that the seals were placed safely. Um, The dark one didn't get ripped out or uh, get loose or anything like that. And by chance, all 13 of the Forsaken were in Sheogul and they got trapped in the ceiling with the dark one. Which is interesting because for some reason I've been under the impression that that was supposed to happen. Like that was the whole plan all along. Let's go to Sheogul, let's trap the Dark One and his Forsaken in all together. But apparently that was just happenstance, which is actually kind of terrifying. It makes me wonder, what if the Dark One had been sealed and the Forsaken had not? Well, then they would have to kill the Forsaken or else they would have broken the Dark One out, right? And it says if that was the end of the story, then, you know, even though most of the world was controlled by the Shadow, Over the next few years, the shadow would have been extinguished from the world all across the face of the earth. However, (laughs) that's not the end of the story because as they were sealing him into the boar, the Dark One got one last move in and he lashed out and that's when Sidene got tainted. And if the women had been there, um, if the schism had not happened, then Sidene would have been tainted too. And then all of the magic users in the world would have gone mad. And it says that Luce Theron and 68 survivors of the 100 champions went insane the instant it happened. But apparently the other male Aes Sedai in the world, oh fuck, I just realized that I, I, <laughs> I just realized I mixed up the names of the, the powers. So Sidene was tainted. Sidar was not tainted because the female Aes Sedai weren't there. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, by the time they, the rest of the world discovered that Sidene was tainted, it was already too late. Tons of male Aes Sedai had already gone mad and they just destroyed everything. And what remained of civilization after the war fell into chaos. And that's the breaking of the world. By the time the taint was discovered, it was already too late. The male Aes Sedai were all driven mad and they were just destroying everything. And the text says, That fateful day at Sheogul ended the war and began the breaking of the world. Which is crazy. (laughs) The text says that the most suitable comment surely comes from what appears to be the introduction of the fragmentary manuscript. Whoever reads this, if any remain to read it, weep for us who have no more tears. Pray for us who are damned alive. Wow. Oh my god. Oh, that's crazy. There are a couple of endnotes for this. Here's something interesting about the group that wanted to, or the groups that wanted to negotiate with the Forsaken. And apparently, several times during the war, they had already sent a bunch of parties to try to negotiate with the Forsaken. And upon returning, members of each of these groups were later discovered carrying out activities that aided the Shadow's cause, though it seems that in some instances they were completely unaware of what they had done. And this reeks of compulsion. This is absolutely compulsion. We've seen how skilled Mogadian is at compulsion. Uh, Grindel is also good at compulsion. So, of course, 
They're not going to go meet the Forsaken and come back like they were, like normal. This is something interesting, too. Uh, one of the end notes says that Latra Pose, the female Aes Sedai that eventually founded the Faithful Concord, apparently rose to a prominence which rivaled that of Luce Theron before her. And she gained the name Shador Nor, which is best translated as Cutter of the Shadow or perhaps Slicer of the Shadow. And you know what? This is kind of fucked up because, well, I mean, maybe. I just feel like if Lotter Pose was as important to history as Luz Theron, why am I just now hearing about her in a side history that came out as an afterfact? I just feel like such a prominent female figure from history should be more widely celebrated. She should have a day dedicated to her or something. Uh, more people should know and talk about her the way they do Luz Theron. And yeah, I know that he was the dragon and he had a bigger part to play in all of this and he gets reincarnated. But I don't know. I feel like um, La Trapose should have gotten more credit and should be more widely talked about. I think that's a little fucked up. <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, while I was reading this, I was really wondering how much of this is going to be a reflection of how the world ends for Rand. And, I mean, there are a couple things that seem unlikely now that could be incredibly possible. Uh, For example, there being male and female Aes Sedai. We know that there are male quote-unquote Aes Sedai, male channelers, but are they going to come together and is the tower going to be 100% whole again? Are they going to join forces at some point? only to break apart again at the end. And really, I, I feel like I'm pretty close to the last battle here already, even though I have several books to go. So do they really have time for all that to happen? You know what I mean? Egwene hasn't even taken the tower back yet. And the Ashaman and the Aes Sedai are still completely at odds with each other. And I just don't see that exact thing happening. Uh, maybe the Aes Sedai and Ashaman come together to work together. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. But I don't ever think the male Ashaman are ever going to be male Aes Sedai. I just don't think there's time for that to happen. Maybe, but uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I guess I'll see. Another thing is that, you know, obviously the Saw Angriol are already created, so that's not going to happen again. Um, But we are definitely about to see them used, and maybe the Choden Call will have a bigger part to play in the last battle this time. I also know, I don't actually remember if I've read this or not, but not every single turning of the wheel is exactly the same. Um, There are rumors that there have been uh, female dragon reborns. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of other differences that we just don't know about because the histories were lost. But I was thinking of a crazy theory because that's kind of my thing. (laughs) And I'm wondering, have women ever broken the world? Have female Aes Sedai ever been the ones to seal the boar and be lashed at? <laughs> and then Sidar is tainted instead of Sidine. And then in the next turning, female Aes Sedai are the ones who are chased down and stilled and taboo in the society. Um, so that's another interesting thought. Well, that's the end. <laughs> that's the end of the story. I thought this was really interesting. I really wish that we had more stuff like this, but we just don't. Um, But I treasure this one little bit of lore so much. (laughs) 
And I think that whenever I finish the series, um, the Wheel of Time Companion will have a lot more of this information, or at least things from the books that I forget all compiled into one. So I do plan on getting that eventually. But until then, uh, the little bits that we get in the book and this short story are really all I have to go on. So thank you guys so much for listening. Again, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, I appreciate you coming and checking out my little podcast, my little corner of the internet. <laughs> my Discord link is in the description of this episode along with the Watt Fandom Discord link and the Watt Trivia Discord link. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can join my Discord or you can catch me on Twitter. It's at StuckOnArrakis. My email is StuckOnArrakis at gmail.com. You can email me there. Um, Discord is probably the best way to get a hold of me, but let me know your thoughts on this short story or your thoughts on what I said or, you know, just your thoughts in general. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Don't go yet. <laughs> uh, so... After I recorded this episode, I actually started my Patreon. I started a Patreon for the same reason that everybody else starts Patreon. Uh, not to really make a profit or anything, uh, but to help cover the cost of running my podcast and equipment upgrades and stuff like that. If you are not interested in supporting me on Patreon, or if you can't right now, um, that's perfectly okay. Uh, you guys show me a lot of support just by showing up and downloading my episodes and telling me how much you appreciate them. So if that's what supporting me looks like to you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but if you do want to support me on Patreon, here's a little bit more about um, the benefits that you'll get and things like that. So my Patreon is basically just a tip jar. Um, the tier starts at $1. You can sign up for more than $1 if you want to, but $1 is really all you need. And for that $1 a month, you will get access to my exclusive Patreon channel on my Discord, uh, early access to all my episodes two days before they go live. I'm going to start doing live voice chats on my Discord channel just to like check in with you guys and kind of chat on the weekends about what I've been reading and any fun stuff that's coming up with a podcast and really just anything in the world that we want to talk about. Um, I'm not sure about the frequency of these yet because I got to make sure that I'm not over-promising and under-delivering. So it might just be like whenever I have stuff to talk about, we get in and chat or weekly or bi-weekly or something. You'll get a shout out in my next episode. I'll also be doing like kind of blog posts like uh, re book reviews for other books that I've been reading lately or, you know, that'll probably evolve over time. And then you'll have access to any of those other posts that I make. Speaking of shoutouts, now it's time for the shoutouts. <laughs> so I want to thank my newest Patreons, Aradia, Raw Neil, Anar, Abby, Josh, and DT. Thank you guys so much for your support. Also, all of you are in my Discord, and thank you for being there. Thank you for being friends with me <laughs> and talking to me about Wheel of Time, because that's really why I started my podcast, and it makes me feel great to know that you guys appreciate my work whether or not you are a member of my Patreon. So thank you guys all again. I, I hope you're having a great week. And hopefully this podcast will be up soon. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Goodbye.